Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, to Christchurch Jerusalem, to our evening Bible study on Wednesday. We are wrestling and studying the book of Leviticus, and we're in chapter 4. Uh, we acknowledge that the Lord is present. He's present with absolutely every single one of us here. And we acknowledge that um, by a simple act of prayer, uh, just uh, inviting his blessing for us so that we can study this book and learn something extra of his majesty, glory, and um, uh, will for our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a good God and you have been so good in loving this world so much that you gave us your son. We thank you that your spirit is present with us. And we thank you that the volume of the book speaks of your son. And we pray, Lord, that as we open and study these words, once again, you will speak to your people because you delight to do so. Give you honor and glory. We welcome your presence. B'Shem Yeshua, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as is our tradition, these are the notes from last week's study, Leviticus chapter 3. In his commentary on the Torah, Dennis Prager, anybody knows who he is, says, The Torah has either something to say to everyone or it has nothing to say to Jews. Which is an interesting thought. The Torah has either something to say to everyone or it has really nothing to say to Jews. The idea that the Torah is only for the Jewish people is like saying Shakespeare is only for the English and Beethoven is only for the Germans. And that idea is absurd. Jesus himself declares, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. And with this background, we continue our studies in Leviticus, endeavoring to become better disciples of the Messiah. And we now encounter the third voluntary offering described by Moses, the Zaveh HaShlamim, the peace offering. Sometimes in Jewish commentaries, it is written Korban Shlamim, the peace sacrifices. And there seems to be some interchange between the words Zevach and Korban. For example, in Exodus 12, 27, the Passover lamb is actually called a Zevach. It's called a Zevach Pesach and not a Korban Pesach although it is also called a Corbin Pesach later, though it is also called a Corbin Pesach or the Passover sacrifice later. The point is that we have another blood sacrifice that has nothing to do with sin, but has everything to do with peace, fellowship, and relationship with the living God. What type of peace is being referred here? We are not talking about peace that comes following a war, which might invoke some thankfulness on the part of the survivors, who responded with an offering. Rather, this is a free will gift between the worshipper and the Lord, moving the relationship and the fellowship to a higher level. The fellowship offering is a celebration of the inner harmony and peace experienced by a person who is right with God. Rashi, an 11th century scholar, says, the offering not only commemorates peace, but also promotes peace in the world. Thus, our sacrifices affect creation. Nothing goes unseen in the eyes of the Lord, including a sacrifice. 
The sacrifice is without defect or blemish, teaching us that everything is connected to God is perfect. His priesthood is without a blemish. His dwelling place doesn't have a blemish. The incense is perfect, etc. All is perfect with the perfect king. In our modern world, we should never consider giving our second best to God. Our intention should always be to bring the best we have to the Lord. The animal offered for sacrifice can either be male or female. And from this, we see only two biological genders. And the gender is known, not debated or changed. If the gender is unknown, then the offering cannot be used. It is blemished. Interestingly, the sacrifice is presented before the Lord at the tent of meeting, not on the north side of the altar. It's previously discussed in chapter 1. And the Hebrew implies that the worshipper is the one who kills the animal and not the priest. The animal is then prepared on the altar by the priest and is consumed on, by the fire on top of the olah, the burnt offering. A portion of the blood is used while the text describes some in-depth butchery of the rest of the animal. The family of the worshipper ate parts of the sacrificed animal together with the Lord, the priests and the servants of the Lord. Symbolism is powerful, picturing the family as guests at the Lord's table. What cannot be consumed are both the fat and the blood. Prohibition against the eating of blood has appeared before. It seems a strange notion now to add animal fat to the forbidden list of food. The text of Leviticus does not give explanation. We are left to ponder the spiritual implications of this command. Fat covers, insulates, and protects the internal organs. It burns effectively on the altar. It's incredibly tasty and is used in cooking, medicine, light, and even some industry. Fat has a plethora of positive uses. And in the book of Psalms, fat and sap, sometimes used together to describe something, in this case a tree, overflowing with life and health. What remains for us to ponder is that both blood and fat belong to the Lord and both are life-sustaining. Verse 17 reminds us that the peace offering is a perpetual offering, a lasting ordinance that does not have a conditional end. That is, the offering does not end with the advent of the Messiah. Jesus rose from the dead, and we still have to give our best to God. Putting these things into our discipleship today, free will offerings are a valuable part of the life of the believer. All sacrifices so far have been voluntary, but they do reflect the status of the relationship between the faithful and the Lord. Anything we choose to devote to, to God should be the best. We should not take faith as something we do less than wholeheartedly. The prayer of a righteous man avails much. The act of faithfulness can affect the world around us in ways we cannot fathom. Modern day actions and rituals of fellowship, such as communion, are healthy and, dare I say, biblical in nature. God delights to fellowship with us, and this brings us peace, wholeness, well being, and maintains the relationship that we grow with the Lord. And so now we look at chapter 4 of Leviticus. Mordecai and I had a little wrestle with this on Monday, and she a long chapter, and there's lots to discuss on that. So uh, 
I thought what we'll do is we'll read, well, I'll, I'll read, read together the first 21 verses and then see how we go. I don't know if we're going to even make it to 10. We'll see, okay? But just to keep it in context, okay, so that we don't go over the, over the, over the material. All right, so Leviticus 4. Uh, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done and does any of them, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood of the bull uh, he shall pour out of the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all the fat of the bull of the sin offering he shall remove from it, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver he shall remove with the fat that is on them. You shall, remove, you shall remove with the kidneys, just as these are taken from the ox of the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering. But the skin of the bull and all its flesh with its head, its legs, its entrails, and its dung, all the rest of the bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place, to the ash heap, and shall burn it up on a fire of wood. On the ash heap it shall be burned up. If the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally and the thing is that is hidden from the eyes of the assembly and they do any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done and they realize their guilt, when the sin which they have committed becomes known, the assembly shall offer a bull from the herd for a sin offering and bring it in front of the tent of meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord and the bull shall be killed before the Lord. And then the anointed priest shall bring some of the blood of the bull into the tent of meeting, and the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. He shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar in the tent of the meeting before the Lord, and the rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all its fat he shall take from it and burn it on the altar. Thus he shall do with the bull as he did with the bull of the sin offering, so he shall do with this, and the priests shall make atonement for them, and they shall be forgiven, and they shall carry the bull outside the camp, burn it up as he burnt the first bull. It is the sin offering for the assembly. Oof. Wow. There is a lot there. Yeah. Is there anything that you heard as, as, we, as we read or, or as you listened to this, that just jumped out at you. you think, wow, what, what, what is that talking about? 
on our lit on our Bashat reading, on our initial reading of the of the text. The, the text makes it clear to me that we're dealing with a definition of sin that is very different from Jesus' teaching on sin. And it's very important, therefore, for us to distinguish the differences and what is going on here in God's eyes. Thanks, Arie. So the uh, what what sort of sin is going on here? Is that what's the, the, the question we might discuss? Yes. Well, in, in all of the instances here, the the uh, introductory phrase is always chet uh, bishgaga. The word chet is used, meaning yeah. sin, but it's also bishgaga, which we have translated here unintentionally in the ESV. I think it's probably a pretty good translation. It's traditionally understood uh, unintentionally or by mistake, unknowingly. That's the only kind of, and it's called a sin. Uh, this is different from Jesus' uh, understanding and clarification of sin, which depends on the degree of knowledge. Someone who doesn't know that he's sinning, in essence, in, in Jesus' terms, is not really sinning. Here it's called a sin, and it requires atonement. It's, in fact, opposed against the intentional sin, which in Hebrew is called biyad ramah. Biyad Ramah. Yeah, Biyad Ramah is the opposite type of sin. It's uh, related in the book of Numbers. And it means uh, arrogantly, presumptuously. A high, not, a high hand. A high, yeah. not, not, yes, literally. But it means the guy knows what he's doing. He's going ahead with it. And uh, in essence, uh, God be whatever, in the, in the uh, words of Noah's wife. Because sin and, is breaking God's law, right, Ariane? Uh, absolutely yes in the Torah and absolutely no in the New Testament. And that, I think, is the, the essence of the difference that we need to understand here. I think there's a good verse in the New Testament there that sin is lawlessness, it says in the New Testament, right? Yes, yes. But, but in essence, if you follow and through Jesus' teaching, it is re the rebellion at the heart that is what is... Uh, uh, the at the root of sin. It's not the outward action. The outward action is the outworking of what comes later. It's not the outward action God's concerned with. He's concerned with the attitude of the heart in New Testament teaching. Jesus, Jesus repeatedly mentions this in many places. Uh, specifically, we could think about John uh, uh, or Luke for, to start with, he says, he that knew, did not know the, he that knew the master's will and didn't do it shall be beaten with many stripes. And he that did not know the master's will and didn't do it shall be beaten with few stripes. So the degree of sin and its reward depend on the degree, degree of knowledge. We have the same thing in uh, John 9 when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Uh, he says, I came to uh, make people who didn't see to see and those who are who are seeing to be blind. And the Pharisees said, well, are we blind then? He says, ah, but you say that you see, therefore your sin is retained. Excellent. On that basis then, if, if you look at Yom Kippur, this is, this is also about unintentional sin, like, like, like Ari is speaking about. How does this differ now to the individual, to the nation's unintentional sin? Because how do we relate the nation's sin back to our, relation, our walk with Lord Jesus now? Because as I understand it, every person will stand before the Lord and answer for what they've done, right? How does the nation answer? And how does the, I like the nation answer at Yom Kippur, right? For unintentional sin. Am I correct? It, that's a and good question. The, the, the modern uh, practice of Yom Kippur is definitely for personal sin that you've done. 
they have a prayer that that lists called Al Chet, and it is a lengthy confession, um, and it lists a, like just about every sin known to man. Um, the the one that's listed in in Yom Kippur, in the Leviticus is that the one you're referring to? Yes, yes, because it's for the nation. The, the high priest does for himself and for the nation. And, and for, for the, the nation, it's like three Yom Kippurims, yeah, three coverings. Um, that's a good question. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't know, but we will definitely tackle it because it's in this book. <laughs> we are uh, talking about two different things here. As Arya said, first, we have this unintentional tin, sin, but second, we have some big sins. So I'd like to go a bit deeper with this unintentional sin and to give you an example, if I may. Here, for example, my commentary says, Rashi, writing words is prohibited on Shabbat, right? Writing anything is prohibited on Shabbat. If a person forgot that it was Shabbat or forgot that writing is prohibited on Shabbat and intended to write the name Daniel, but instead only wrote the name Dan, he or she is liable to bring a sin offering, since then is a word. But however, if a person intended to write Reuben and only wrote R-E, re, she or he is exempt from having to bring a sin offering because R-E is not a word. So it's like we are talking about simple sins here, but the verse 13, the Kohen Gadol thing is a big, bigger sin that's hidden from the eyes of the nation. So we have these two different uh, head here. One is very unintentional, it's very like simple sin that we are talking about that he, for, he forgot and he's just bringing sin offering and you see in the explanation I shared it, it's very uh, obvious who should bring and who should not but uh, the sin that starts from the verse to 13 is a bit different, it's a bit bigger sin. Yeah, I think the unintentional sin is the sin without knowledge, the one that you don't know yeah. that you've done. And as Jesus says, as, as Arya was mentioning, the difference with Jesus is I'm looking at your heart. What yeah. do you know in your heart? But here... It's in, different, in, totally it's different. That's why, that's why I agree with Arya. It's yes. different. It's, uh, it's, yeah, okay. Because remember, what's not in the Bible is just as important as what is. What do I mean by that? Because if we're dealing with unintentional sin, what would be the obvious next question? Wait, but just a real quick thought. Like, what is an intentional sin? It has sin? to be a valid sin against God, though, right? Like, so in other words, it has to be a sin in God's eyes, not in man's eyes. Like, man makes all kinds of rules, and there's all kinds of rabbinical rules, but those aren't necessarily God's laws being broken. So that's not really a legitimate sin, is it, Mahdi? But there are different sin types here. I'm not an expert of sins. Hopefully, <laughs> none of us will. Good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but. You see how deep the Judaism thinks. That's what I'm trying to say. I would remind us of what our recent studies in the book of Galatians, where Paul says that the Torah is uh, God's household slave to lead us to our true teacher, which is Christ, the Messiah. Amen. This, what we're reading here is a training exercise for the people of Israel. It was good in its time and its season, but it was all intended to lead them to their true teacher. And uh, we can't stay with this text as it is. We have to see where it's pointing to and where it goes. Well, perfect. But we try. <laughs> yes, we try. So what's the question? It doesn't if, apply now, or what do you mean? No. It does apply to us. To I would say 
God, in accordance with uh, Galatians and other places in the New Testament, God does not run his creation by rules. He interacts with it and he issues his will by his word. He has relationships with his entire creation. He does not get, run it through a list of rules that he left somewhere for us. That's he does essence. in Judaism. He, he does in Judaism and it still applies to his people, Jewish people. Unless you're well, Jewish, you don't have to the, follow it. That's an interesting question for the people of Israel. But for those who are in Christ, we do not run our lives by rules. We run it by a relationship. We talk with him and he talks to us. He clarifies his will to us by his spirit. We do not have to look at a list of rules to decide what to do. Well, it's called the replacement theology, I guess, Arya. We are not having a fight here, but if you are Jewish, this book applies to you, and it is very obvious here. It applies to us. It doesn't matter if you are a Messianic Jew or an Orthodox Jew. It still and, applies and, to us. And the attempt to keep it is as futile as it has ever been. As Peter said, we and our fathers could not keep it. So let's see what it can teach. So, Aria, in a sense, I actually tend to, in, in a sense, agree with Aria a little bit here because although we don't, this unintentionally, if we just take it to our lives as Christians now, we do something over and over and over, and then suddenly the Holy Spirit will start revealing that to us, that what we've been doing, which we didn't even know was wrong, is actually not pleasing to the Father. So, there is a law which we live by, but it's not a law of rules. It's a law that God is writing in our hearts because he's conforming us into the image of his son. And so he is slowly in that relationship, making us into, a, into holy people, righteous people that will do what God wants. But as you say, it's not through a set of do this, don't do that. It's just and we do get that, but it's through the Holy Spirit in our heart, God in our heart, changing us. Right, not by what we do. Yeah, but then how, how do you, I'm going to refute that slightly. Okay, without rules, we've got us a problem, right? Because we, it's either yes or no, yes or no, even with Lord well, Jesus. Right? That's right. God is not lawless. No. A man of lawlessness is not God. You, on Sunday, Father Aaron, we had a really good sermon from Father Rick. We did. And the thing that stood out from what he said, and I remember it, I wrote it down, is Jesus is a teacher and a healer, not a cop. And that seems to be significant. He's, he's not looking to trick people into, he's not looking to catch people out. He's trying to teach people. Yeah. And I think that's, that doesn't dispute you know what area is no no it's not to dispute it i agree with i agree with that right the 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 the, the torah goes where in the new covenant in our heart, in our heart. In our right. heart. correct so it doesn't disappear exactly and and, and actually also I, I think that torah comes about it an understanding of torah comes in the beatitudes really well it's, it's a part of because, it because what the Lord is doing is he's taking laws that we, we, we did on such a practical way and such a physical way. And he's saying, okay, let me show you the yeah. spiritual side, but the rule, the law actually still yeah. applies. Yeah. Oh, that's right. God's law is God's law. And, um, but, and, and with Sharon's comment, we'll always have something to do with what you do because faith without works is dead. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so you, you cannot say I love someone and do nothing. 
That's not love. So, it, and, and that, that's why we look, and all of the fruits of the Spirit are things you can see. So, so, so surely now what we, what we are in Yeshua and Lord Jesus, we're working them together. We're working yeah, both well, the physical and the, and the spiritual side together in our hearts, right? Yeah. But it's not as a set of rules because I don't say today, today I'm not going to lie. Today I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to murder somebody. I just don't want to do that because God in me is changing me because right. of that. That's heart. right. This, this, we have the, as Paul says in Galatians, the spirit is our guide and, exactly. and shield. But, but, but then on the, on the other side of that, we are told that we've not been given the spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. The other word for sound mind is a disciplined mind. Yes. Yeah. This entire book speaks of the Messiah, and it's all one story. But it, it does show that it creates a good, good discussion and conversation. The thing is here, I'm not, you know, trying to make a fight here, but if you don't like what it says, and if you are not the part of it, uh, I mean, I'm not being racist here, then uh, you don't need to follow it. You don't need to stop riding on Shabbat, but it doesn't make us slaves. I don't, I, I know an apostle said that once upon a time, but we say it's it's a tree of life for us, for Jewish people. I don't think the Torah makes me a slave. Or something like that. This book was given what, what three thousand years before the Messiah. But what we are, uh, or the Christian world is trying to do, is like to create something that will look non-Jewish. Then it's not Jewish Messiah. Even the Messiah cannot change a word of the Torah. Even the Messiah cannot change it because this is the word of God. So yeah. you, either you like it or not. You don't need to follow it. But if you're Jewish, if you're a son of God, you have to follow it. It's just a book. And Yeshua said that I'm not here to change the, the law, but to fulfill it. So basically, yeah, I just don't understand the fight here. We're not yeah, fighting. I have to tell you, while we are recording here, the Torah doesn't make us slaves. The Torah made us the people of God. If there is no Torah, there is no people of God. If there is no Torah, there is no Messiah. So The oral traditions made us slaves. Well, we are reading from the book, Raki. We are not reading from Talmud. We are barely in the verse 2, and we are not reading the oral tradition here. Yeah, and in, in Romans 7, 12, it says the law is holy. The commandment is holy, righteous, and good. And in 1 Timothy 1, 8, it says, now we know that the law is good if one uses it legitimately. We realize that the law is not enacted for righteous, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and the sinful, for the only profane killers of mother and father for murderers. So <laughs> there is a place for that. Yes, yes, absolutely. And just like we've read in Jeremiah, the Torah will be written in our hearts. On, on our hearts. We okay. hope so. So this is the Torah. Let's see what it says. And the Lord spoke to Moses. Why does God only ever speak to Moses, do you think? Well, at Sinai, they, they said, we don't want to talk to you, to the Lord God. You talk to us. And Moses yeah. became the mouthpiece of the Lord God. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, Israel says, you know, we can't hear. We don't, we don't want to hear the voice of, of heaven. It's, it's actually too much. And uh, there's a Jewish commentary where, where, where they start asking themselves, so how much do you think we heard from God? And, and they go, no, we only got to two words. Uh, and that was pretty much it. We couldn't handle it after that. We said, shut up. We can't do it. Moses, you go talk to him. And um, it's just a, it's a sort of like a little Jewish 
smart comment on the powerful voice that God has. But yes, we end it with it with the intermediary, which is Moses. But we're talking about the Leviticus, which is to do with the high priest, which is Aaron. But God doesn't seem to talk to him. If you go to Numbers 12, they had this uh, same discussion here in Numbers 12, you bet. You know where this Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moshe? Yeah. Uh, about, and here, um, verse 6, God says, please listen to my words. If there, there will be prophets among you, the Lord will make myself known to him. In a vision, I will speak to them in the dream. Not so is my servant Moses. He is faithful throughout my house. And I speak to him month to month. So I think that's the reason. He calls him Behol Beitin, a man who. So like, he's very faithful throughout his house and he speaks to him month to month. And maybe that's the reason. Could and be. here in Yud Bet, you see, they already had this discussion. Even they said, has the Lord spoken only to Moses? Hasn't he spoken to us too? So God himself gave an uh, answer to that. An answer, yeah. Okay, very good. And that's the old covenant. And of course, in the new covenant, like in the book of Hebrews, it says, so that in the past, God spoke to us through our, for, through our forefathers, through the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. So I think just to Arie's point, that was what he's yeah. getting at. The fulfillment or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, very good. Yeah. The progression of, of God's revelation of talking through people. The uh, uh, from... Moses to Joshua to prophets to to the people of God through Jesus and then through the Spirit. Okay, the Lord spoke to Moses, and um, why? Got an example as to why from the Book of Numbers, saying, "Speak to the people of Israel, saying, if anyone sins unintentionally, and uh, um, what sort of sin is being discussed here? Okay, the one." That is done without knowledge, the, the unintentional sin. In any of the Lord's commandments, okay, so doesn't matter which one, about things not to be done and does any one of them, it is the anointed, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people. Any thoughts about that sentence? I've thought that there are actually two different explanations for unintentional, and there, there may be a difference between them, but perhaps not. One would be if a, a person was knowledgeable of the, the particular law and inadvertently uh, abrogated it, did something or didn't do something. Here it's actually saying, uh, usually implying it's, it's a prohibition that's being uh, abrogated. That's one way, but the other way would be if he he actually didn't even know the rules and yeah. did something and did something in ignorance. Both of those would perhaps be unintentional, but they actually have a different basis. Yeah, so ignorance is included, perhaps. Um, yeah. Oh, I didn't get to answer the uh, the question I posed at the beginning. If we're talking about unintentional sins, this is what we have to do. What's the next, what's the thing that's missing? What's the word that's not spoken? Intentional. Yeah. What do we do with intentional sin? We cut them off from the people of Israel. Right. <laughs> yes. Stone them. Stone them, yeah. Okay. And then, so what, this creates the discussion, which ends up going through first temple period, second temple period, which is 
How do you get rid of intentional sin? What was the answer? Get rid of the sinner. Yeah, it was one way. Cut off your hands. Repentance. Poke your eye out. Yep, repentance. And so it's not listed like this is how you get rid of intentional sin, but it becomes the uh, it becomes the exegesis from the hachamim, from the wise wise men. They sit around and they go, okay, I've got rules about what to do with my unintentional stuff. How do I get rid of my intentional stuff? Just kill everybody for doing intentional sin. How, how quickly do we run out of Jews? Look, the simple answer is, is don't sin. Yeah, I mean, like either, either there was no, no intentional sinning going on there for quite some time, um, or we figure out some way to get rid of it. But that's something we'll, we'll talk about in a minute. How can you have an unintentional sin for a law you didn't know? The uh, Hang on, hang on. How can you have an unintentional sin for the law you didn't know? Okay. This is, um, this is the idea of ignorance is no excuse. Okay, ignorant. Okay, so the, the, the verse is if anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments, so it, 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 it does. But, but no, back up, you said one, one of the things of an intentional sin was, was, was committing a sin that, that, that the person didn't know about. But if you remember, one of the com- first commandments is you will teach. Therefore, uh, ignorance, is not, ignorance is not an option. Okay. Right? Is that would would that be correct? You cannot have a situation where you where where you have an unintentional sin for something you didn't know because you're supposed to know. If you don't know, then someone else in the family committed the sin for not having taught you. Thus generational sin. Are they posted at the community tent, like the laws? Because uh, if they uh, just wrong, they're it's supposed to be taught. I think what Tom's referring to is is this idea that Teaching becomes a an inherent part of um, the people of Israel. You teach, you get yourself a teacher, and uh, woe to the shepherds who are not teaching, as some of the prophets. And then when you get to the Messiah himself, it says, "Go into the world and teach them to obey my commandments." Right? This you know, it's not just go into the world and get them all baptized. Go into the world and have you know altar calls. Uh, go into the world, make disciples, and teach. You know, Tom, God wanted the Jewish nation to be holy as he is holy. So he gave them all these laws and he wanted them to learn about his law. So, of course, there, uh, as you say, I mean, there was no excuse for, for not knowing anything. They should have studied it already. And God had, you know, Jewish people, the only people that God gave a bunch of laws to you know, for the first time. But that's why there was no excuse for an intention of sin. Right. Of course, we didn't We also them. have to remember the history of Israel is that they didn't learn. That they ended up with, yeah, some, bad, they ended up with some bad shepherds. <laughs> that's and, the best part. And, and God says, like, hang on, did someone here forget my laws? You know, I mean, and that was one of the things is, not only maybe did we forget. Yeah. Maybe that's why he gave out a bunch of uh, orders like that, because he knew that we forget them anyway. yeah i mean that's i think as many of you have, have have heard me say the most common command in the bible is remember remember you know there's this constant uh generational forgetfulness that leads to 
ignorance. Uh, yeah, here, here let, let me put in this word. There's this nation who was weak enough and God wanted to make them holy and gave them a bunch of orders. So we can put it in this word because after the crossing the Sea of Reeds, you know, three days after that, after seeing all the miracles that God had performed, they were about to kill Moshe Rabbeinu for not having uh, water, right? So we're not talking about a holy nation yet. So right. that's why maybe God wanted to make, make them stronger in their faith and make them per, uh, perfect, maybe. Well, sure. The, the one of the, well, we're dealing with unintentional sin. So intentional sin was, I, I suggested repent, which was one stream of Jewish thought. But what also ended up is like bad teachers, they took the ritual, which was for unintentional sin, and they began to imp, imp, apply it to intentional sin. And the prophets come along and rail about it, and they say, you can't do this. Your, your rituals don't get rid of your intentional sin. You can't just sin intentionally and then run to the temple and think that, that's, that you're forgiven. That was never the whole point of those sacrifices in the first place. To get rid of your intentional sin, you had to do something else, and uh, which is, I think, a very interesting angle that the prophets argue against. I'd like to draw your attention to, to verse 3, and particularly what it, what it says in Hebrew, Arie. Who's the person sinning in verse 3? It's, it's, it, it, reads, it reads really nice in Hebrew. It's the priest. If the anointed priest sins, meaning yeah. the high priest. Yeah, the anointed priest. The Mashiach means uh, anointed one. So the little, the little, uh, or if you were reading in Septuagint Greek, this would be Christos. Okay, right. Um, if it, if it is the anointed priest who sins, his sin. What does his sin do? And why? Why is it bringing guilt on all the people? It brings guilt on everyone. Good question, Sharon. Why does the why does the our little little priest Messiah? Why does his sin bring guilt on the people? Because he's responsible for the people. He's an emissary. Okay, responsibility. All right. There's yeah. no, okay, responsibility. Okay, uh, Yvonne, you you've got a hand raised. Yeah, it's it's you know sin is it, there's graded impurity in sin. It's it's airborne, and eventually, if it gets so bad that it penetrates the sanctuary in a, in a you know proportional magnitude, God's presence leaves the temple, and so it's airborne and it affects communities. I would suggest that his priestly intermediary capacity is compromised, and therefore the people have no. Uh, no means to God and no forgiveness of sin through his intercession and sacrifice. Okay, so you're looking at his role as intermediary, and once that's blemished, the relationship by default becomes now blemished. Is that the way we're talking about? Is that what you just want to say, Arie? His yes. sin is, yeah. Okay. And also he was appointed by God. And so he, it's not that he, he chose that role. God appointed him to be that priest. And so he has to have that, he has that responsibility. It's the same way with the kings. When a king did wrong, the whole nation was judged. Well, it changed a, a bit during the second temple period. There was an election. They even had two high priests. So yeah. I wouldn't say God 
had anointed them. Well, anyway, at the at the at the time here, yes, but at the yes, second yeah. temple period, no, they had had pretty much um, gone the, the way all of about the, power, yeah, and gone the way of bribery and, and stuff. Um, quite quite a corrupt temple. You can see why Jesus did the bullwhipping thing. But here we have an interesting interesting uh, thing. The mediator sins, and it goes on top of the people. So how do the people get rid of their sin now? They must bring an uh, offering. Look at 14, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, well, let's have a look. If the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed. So he's going he's gonna to do something. You're going to get a bull from the herd. Okay, doesn't say where the bull comes from. Okay, one, it could be a herd that's attached to the temple or tabernacle or something, or who knows, could be somebody's somebody else's bull. The whole priest comes along and says, "Hey, look, mate, I blew it. Um, I need your cow for the weekend. Sorry, I'm not going to give it back." Okay, and the guy's going, "What, you rat?" Okay, you, you, you better be worth it. Okay. I don't know where he gets his cow from. A bull from the herd without a blemish. Remember, anything that we do for the Lord has to be wholehearted and, and perfect. You're not giving God your second best. And it's the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. He lays his hand on the head of the bull and he kills it before the Lord. Okay, so that he's doing it. And then the anointed priest, the Kohen Mashiach, shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of the meeting. Okay, and the priest will dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it, or sprinkle part of the blood, seven times before the Lord in front of the parochet. Why okay? seven times? That's a good question. Why do you well, think... <laughs> it's because sex was not enough. <laughs> so eight was too much. Yeah. Isn't seven the perfect number? Yeah, seven. Yeah, we say that now, and maybe this is part of the tradition of building this number. But what do you guys think? Perfect. Yeah. Why seven? If if you were if you thought of seven, like okay, you've got the word seven. You're you're Jewish. You're in the middle of a desert. God has been speaking to your hero. He comes down and says, okay. Got a plan for how to get rid of our unintentional sin, and everyone's like, "Oh, thank God!" You know, you're wondering how we're going to get rid of that. And um, says, "Right, you're going to kill this, get some blood, and you're going to dab it seven times." What is seven? What's the immediate thing you think of? Seven days of the completion. week. Completion. Completion. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why completion? What did you say, Kate? Days of the week. Days of the week. Okay, creation. Sabbath. Right? You go right back to your oral story, yeah. and at the end. It's complete seven rest. What's day seven called? Shabbat. Okay. So you have, you have the, it's, yes, we, we, we get this idea that seven is the perfect number because it's complete. It's the, it's the seventh day of, of, the, of the working with God is resting. Everything's done. We're not needing to do anything anymore. So you get this idea. Seven. Okay, great. Seven, seven times before the Lord in front of the parochet. Okay. Why do we do this? Why in front of the, the veil? Because veil is basically symbolizes God. And behind the veil was the Ark of the Covenant. 
It's true. We, 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 the, the, ark of the, the ark is in there. The high priest can only go in, although we haven't had that rule yet, but we're going to get there. And, um, and so, yeah, this, there's this idea that you can't, this is, this is not the Yom Kippur thing. And the priest shall put some, this is now verse 7, that, that completed uh, number. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of the fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. So what's in this tabernacle? What's inside? Well, inside is yeah, the ark and God. But on the other side of the parochet is a little incense altar where you have a, sp- a particular um, boutique or fragrance, which is just God's, and the recipe is in um, Exodus somewhere. But here, for some reason, you got to put a little bit of blood on that, which is interesting. Yvonne, hand raised? Yeah, it, it seems as, as it's almost, I mean, blood is basically the ritual cleanser. It cleanses the altar. It cleanses people and it cleanses the altar. It purges the altar of impurities that, that are inflicted by the un- unintentional sins. And I think it's interesting in general how there's like graded impurity, right? When just the people sin, they go to the brazen altar, right? And, and in, if it's an individual. And then if it's a communal, you go to verse 13, um, then they go to the burnt offering. They go to the altar of incense inside. So there's a, you're, you know, so where, wherever you are in your realm, that's in a sense what you contaminate. So the common people outside, then, you know, as, as you have more of the communal, you go into the holy and then eventually with Yom Kippur, if it's, if it's, you know, the high priest, then he would go all the way to the Holy of Holies. So it's very interesting. It's kind of like a great impurity of in, in levels of who it is and how far you get until you get all the way into the Holy of Holies with ultimately the sin of the high priest. So I think it's very interesting, this idea of a graded impurity as it goes from the common then to the community, then to the ultimate representative of the, all of the people, it goes in that sequence, burnt incense and the holy, and then the, uh, eventually the holy of holies. Okay, quite a, quite a ritual going on there, quite a, quite a sequence. Um, it's an incredible, interesting little ritual that this guy is doing. Um, I really, really enjoy what happens, uh, what the conclusion is. We'll get to it in a minute. Okay, um, Vida or David, hand raised. Quick, a quick question. You made me think. I always associated these um, offerings with Yom Kippur, and you said this really wasn't Yom Kippur yet. So, how often did they do this? And can you? I can imagine a priest, maybe like Luther, where he's just continually thinking he's done something against the Lord. You know, how often would this done? Because I always assumed it was Yom Kippur. They did it once a year for the sin of the priest, of the congregation, of the nations. It's a good question. The difference between this one and the Yom Kippur sacrifice is he can actually go behind the other side of the curtain. The, the, this text is very specific, so he can't. You know, okay, yeah. it's very interesting. Yeah. He's got this little ritual that he's doing. Um, how often does he wake up one day and discover that he's done an unintentional sin? Well, whoever owns the herd of cows is probably hoping not a lot. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just imagine, you know, the, the owner of the, the herd's going, look, you know, I really can we should fire this guy and get a new priest because this one's costing me a lot of money. You know, um, we, we, we're not we're not 100% sure, Vita. We honestly don't know. We have the, the, the rituals described in detail. 
Messiah says, the volume of this book teaches of me, how much of it actually goes on is not always, is, is not always as clear as we, we would like. Um, it's just a weird, weird question. When, when it, it was sacrificed for unintentional sin, whether it was Yom Kippur or for the individual, was this in arrears or in advance? This is in arrears. This isn't in advance. Okay. Um, this is, this is uh, you know, he's, it, the unintentional sin has been discovered. Yes. Right? If it's unintentional and no one discovers it, well, you know, no one's doing anything. The, the, the point is we've discovered something. However, no one is, the, the point, it's not, it's not actually clear what it is. All it just says is could have broken any of the commandments. Your brain goes goes nuts with trying to think of you know what was going on. Was he wearing a pair of Levi jeans with two different uh, you know linen and wool mixed together? And someone says, "Whoa, dude, what it made you put that on this morning?" Um, who, who knows? Uh, we're not one hundred percent sure, but we got a, we got an interesting ritual going on, and it's to get rid of who sinned, priest, and people. People, people, um, and um, leaders, and then anybody else. Yes, right. So we've got one guy blew it, and everybody's guilty. Remember, we talked about the burden of leadership, and that that actually is a is a, is a burden. Everybody, even the New Testament talks about that as well. That you know the responsibility that people have for their households. Okay. Um, Mordecai, when you and I were having a discussion, you mentioned uh, some guy called Ibn Ezra. Was, yeah. did, did he was he sacrificing for atonement as well? Yeah, of course. Okay, we're talking about thirteen, right? Oh no, not yet. Sorry. Um, let's have a look. See if we can get there. Which verse? Uh, I, mean, uh, I forgot. Before you move on, just the opposite to what we say. If one guy's guilty, then everybody's guilty. Then you made me think of Lord Jesus. If one person is completely righteous, then that whole nation is righteous. Ah, well Vida. done. That's yes, that's actually where we get to, Vida, because what you see happening here is the high priest, Kohen HaMashiach, he sins. The sin goes on top of all the people. I didn't do anything. I mean, they probably did their own stuff, but that's not the point. And then he's got to get some blood. He's got to do this very particular ritual. And then the sin cancels out on yeah. everyone. Suddenly you get this idea that what? Someone can sacrifice for other people's sins? Hmm. That's amazing. And that theology crazy. begins to be implanted right in the Torah. Yes. Right? Here, Ibn Ezra says, the Kohen Gadol is the people's emissary to pray for them and bring them atonement. His sin brings guilt upon them, and so he needs to bring them atonement through the bull. So basically, you see that all this uh, Messiah bringing atonement to people begins right here in this verse 3. Yep. Yep, it's right there. It's very early on. The high priest, Kohen HaMashiach, can make atonement, and, uh, and uh, which is... Which is very, I think, very interesting where you go, huh, that, that, and it's, people didn't even know what's going on. Most of the camp, you know, the guys at the edge of the camp have no clue, right? They wake up one day and what, what, what's, um, what's the Colin Godol did last night? Whoops, we've all blown it. I'm just going to sit in my tent and wait till he's made a sacrifice. 
I mean, half this stuff, no one even knows what's going on, right? It, that, that theology is, you know, while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. He's redeeming while people don't even know. He's active while people are sleeping. You know, all that stuff is uh, all, all sort of kind of there. Once you start looking at the text from all, all different angles and the, the, the way the, the text is very blank, that is it doesn't describe everything, allows for that theology and discussion. Well, no, but it's a picture of Christ for sure. Right? That's it's absolutely a, right. That's where know, Messiah says the volume of the book speaks of me. Complete picture. We are all in agreement on that one. It's a it's a picture of the high priest. The even even Ju- late Jewish commentaries like Ibn Ezra are, are are in agreement, right? So, okay, so then uh, so this he's done he's done his little finger thing on the incense altar. And then he goes out and he pours the rest at the base of the burnt offering uh, that is at the entrance of the tent. Like so, a lot of blood is is, is being moved around. Then all then we get that whole fat ritual again, which we talked about. That fat and blood belong to the Lord, and the fat of the bull of the sin offering he shall remove from it. You get a lot of detail again on uh, butchery, how you do stuff. But in, but there's a slight difference in this one. Okay, is that. Um, Parts of the, nothing's actually fed or eaten. Okay, no one has table fellowship on this one. Everything is going to be consumed. The bits that are not burnt on the altar are taken to another place. Okay, uh, which it shows up in verse eleven. Okay, the skin of the bull. Normally, skins were given to the priests as like part of their um, salary. Okay, and they could uh, sell them, use them. However, but this case, the skin of the bull and all its flesh with its head, its legs, its entrails, and its dung, I mean, even that's got to go, okay? Like every bit, all the rest of the bull you carry outside the camp to a clean place uh, and uh, to a, it's got an a, to an ash heap, it was a, a place of, of, of ashes, and then you burn it all you get rid of it all there. So you take it outside the camp and you just and you and the whole animal is taken away. Okay. And so this is how you get rid of the sins of the people. But it it's already as as we've all recognized setting up the pattern for the high priest to make atonement for people. Okay. And um, of course Hebrews very clear to make sure that everyone understood that Yeshua is our high priest. There's lots of theology that's packed into there too. So, yes, Damaris mentioned uh, Yeshua was crucified outside the camp. Yep, he was indeed. And uh, in a a very particular special place uh, mentioned as Golgotha, and there's a lot of reasons why he gets to that, that spot. But, yes, he was also crucified outside the camp so there's a lot of similarities that go there as well so now the congregation we move away from the single dude we now go to the people if the whole congregation of israel sins unintentionally again how does the whole community do that um and when you say the word whole what do you mean by whole everyone well it means the sanhedrin the rulers of the people but where does it say unintentionally? It doesn't say in my translation. Verse 13, yeah. 
Yeah, verse 13, what sort of sin have you got there? Is it, it's unintentional sin again, isn't it, Arya? Well, it doesn't use the word intention, unintentional, but it says uh, yeah. something that is hidden from them. Yeah. Is it actually unintentional or is it just a hidden sin? It's something that they did that they did uh, unnoticingly. Uh, the the language is different, but I can't see that the substance is terribly different. Okay. Perhaps uh, there there is. Okay. So one question is, who's the whole congregation? And and uh, Sharon jumps up and says, absolutely everyone. Like, well, all doesn't mean all in the Bible, right? Because <laughs> oh, when, when it says all Israel went to to Mitzpah to worship the Lord, you're like, really? Everybody, uh, it, everybody it who was living up in the Golan just left and there was completely no. nobody there and they all went down and anyone could have walked into any of the villages and taken whatever they like. It, does, it, means a, it doesn't mean all. It means a goodly portion. But uh, Mordecai has got another interpretation on it, which is it's the leadership, right? Yeah. It says in Kola, that Israel, but it, that is basically the community of Israel, basically the Sanhedrin, the, it refers to the, the head of the community, you know, not the call is because it could say I'm Israel easily, or just call Israel or Bene Israel, but it says Adat Israel. So, verse 22 has for the leader that does it, and then uh, verse uh, further down, it's for uh, any of the people, right. It could be too, like, you know how some of our sins are hidden inside? So like if I do a blatant sin, like with my mouth and, you know, curse God or something, then that's outside and obvious. But if I have sin in my heart, like, you know, like hatred or bitterness or, you know, envy, all of those things, you know, kind of New Testament concepts, whatever. But still, the concept is still there that, that some sins can be hidden, but in your heart, right? Yes. The, the, that, and, that, and that is, you know, the, the, the discussion is like, who is the Ada? Okay, is it is it Am Israel or is it just somebody else, which is Sanhedrin, which is one way that it is read? Who is the, is it is hidden and intentional or unintentional in context? Then um, the way Arya is reading it, and I kind of read it that way too. It's an unintentional sin because um, the whole talk, text is talking about this unintentional sin. Um, but we still have to figure out as we're going down the list of, of who's actually sinning and how you get rid of this thing. We've gone down from a single guy. Now we move to a, an ADA, a community of some type. Is it the leadership, like the elders, the Zakanim, the, the Sanhedrin? The, um, I mean, it wasn't called a Sanhedrin back then. Okay, whatever yeah, you, you want. Can just, you can just look at verse 15 and what it says. It says the elders shall lay their hands on Correct. So it says the, in, in, the, in this context, it then goes down to the elders, the Zakanim of, of the land. So we might be working our way down from one guy down to the people. Okay. Uh, David, got a hand raised? Uh, Aaron, uh, two, two things there. The, two things. Uh, uh, the leadership makes sense because this whole context of this is pointing at the, as the priest, if he wasn't right, uh, everybody would be punished for it. So when we talk about uh, all went up, Mordecai makes a lot of sense that it was the leadership. And secondly, when we speak about hidden sins, we talk about unintentional, but does, does hidden not also imply deception? That's does why I don't think it, it's unintentional. I think it's intentional sin that was hidden from the people. That's why okay. I disagree yep. with you, Aaron yep. and Arya. 
No, and that's great. And I and, and I like the discussion because it's like, what is it? What is it hidden? Is it unintentional? That's you read it. The discussion is is uh, hidden. Hidden is too strong a word for alam here. It means uh, escaped notice, disappeared from, wasn't wasn't noticed by. Okay, so yeah, it's not implying that somebody hid it. It escaped notice. Right. Okay. Well, then look at verse thirteen was hidden from the eyes of the congregation. Why was it hidden from the eyes of the congregation then if it was an unintentional uh, small sin? By the that's teacher. I, I think, yeah, I mean, that's what we learned in the Yeshiva, by the way. I mean, it, the, the language itself doesn't give us that much of uh, no, I know. here. Adat Israel is the same as Kahal Israel, in my opinion, textually. I don't see a difference here. Okay, so verse 15 is where you bring in the elders. And that's why in some commentaries they link the two together. Well, you obviously couldn't have the entire congregation of three million people laying their hands on this uh, Correct. slaughtering it. Yeah, 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 exactly. It, uh, it, that would cause a small um, problem, okay? Pass the cow around, six weeks later we finally get to killing him. You know, um, doesn't quite No, work. but we are not there yet. I'm just still talking about an unintentional thing. You said it's not hidden, Arya. But why was it hidden from the eyes of the yes, congregation? Yes. So you speak Hebrew. Why don't you tell us here? Why was uh, it hidden I'm, from the I'm eyes of the congregation? I have eyes the text the only. The text only says it escaped notice from the congregation, and therefore they have to do the same sacrifice. In fact, the sacrifice is exactly the same. All the procedure is exactly the same. The place the blood is sprinkled is exactly the same as for the high priest. There's no difference here. Yeah. yeah, so I think Damaris has a good thought on it. She was putting in the in the words there, which is, uh, it see the in so Damaris has a, a, a comment in the chat box. It says it seems this happens a lot in government, where corruption happens and the common people have no idea. Uh, yeah. So um, the concept that it's corruption in the governing group, or you know that kind of thing. Right. Well, that yeah, it could be that. Um, so the people are actually in ignorance of the sin. Correct. The government that have done it. The, it could be. It could be that we've, we've gone down for one guy. We now go down to the next level and we keep going down to leaders and then we get to any one of the common people, which is in verse um, 27, that we're beginning to, we're going down the list of different people that there are in the community. Everybody's got to do exactly the same thing. Whether it's the guy at the top or whether it's the, the elders, the zakanim, the elders of the community, or whether it's the, uh, the leadership um, or the common people, they all got to do exactly the same thing to get rid of the unintentional sin. You're building a list of responsibility. You're showing that, that it's, not, it's not just individuals, but it's the community total and the whole body before God that acts as one organism, not just indi the individuals are all part of it. And doesn't that all eventually build to what Christ said about love your neighbor as yourself, what, what it is in the law? Because okay. everyone, everyone is now equal before and under the law. And the only way that can happen is if the entire organization operates as if it's one body. What does he, what is his requirement for his church? Unity. Right. Okay, that's nice, Tom. Yep. Yep. So we've got a list of responsibility, Cohen's elders, leaders, people, all creating one people, one body, just like 
uh, Jesus does with his, the one new man of Jews and Gentiles, one body with also one responsibility for each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love fulfills the law. All of those kinds of uh, really cool. Um, okay, let's let's go back to the oral uh, tradition a bit. Uh, here Rashi says here what they mean is the great Sanhedrin of 71 judges, the high court of the nation, which has its seat on the Temple Mount. And this sin, it had been done intentionally. So we see it's talking about the leaders. Of yeah. course, some of us don't believe in the oral Torah, but anyways, Torah itself is not only the text. So we need yeah. to go to oral tradition too. So what, what Rashi is saying is a thousand years after Jesus, they were still thinking that this particular bit was referring to intentional sin. So you can see that there's a bit of ambiguity in the way the text is read. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and Rashi's got a commentary which shows they thought it was for intentional sins. Okay. Um, uh, this is, a, 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 I guess, a disagreement we all have with each other. I think it all relates to the same concept, which is unintentional, and all doing the same thing to get rid of it, going down the list of people. Of course, I could be wrong. All right, so if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally or the, the leadership representing the community uh, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly and they do any one of the things by the Lord's commands that are all not to be done and they realize their guilt, okay, it's, it's got to come to the light. When the sin which they have committed becomes known, the assembly shall offer a bull from the herd for a sin offering and bring it in front of the tent of meat. And so where do you get the cow from? It doesn't say, you know. And so because you ended up with these rules, you ended up with herds of animals that are actually being used specifically for this system, this, this, this idea. Um, and, uh, and so the... the tabernacle and the temple and the community at Shiloh, they began to have quite the industry of animal husbandry. And so in the prophets, I think it's Micah, they talk about the lambs that are used for Passover being kept at a place called um, Migdal Eder. Okay. And that the Migdal Eder is recorded as being a place near which little town? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Okay. Correct. And so it, it was already, even from, from the times of Micah, the uh, Bethlehem was also a place where you kept animals for this purpose, you know, for, the, for, for opportunities for sacrifice. And so who's, that, who's the, the sacrifice that's born in, uh, in this area? Okay. And it, it all sort of kind of nicely gels together. I got hands raised everywhere. I didn't even see who was first. Very sorry. Vida. It was Vida. Vida, you're next. Just thinking, because this made me think of this um, with the elders sin. Is this similar to that um, where you read in the Bible where the priests are suddenly reading the law for the first time? And I think it's in Ezra where they're reading the law for the first time and suddenly they realize they've got wives from different, um, not, uh, not Levite wives. And so suddenly they, they, they mourn and they 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 start um, they put away their wives. So what made 
this is something very similar. So they must have gone through this kind of sacrifice for this unintentional or, or hidden because they weren't aware of it until suddenly it was exposed when they read the law. And then secondly, they, they, this just doing that sacrifice wasn't enough. They still had to put away the wives. They actually had to stop that. Right. That's right. So once the sin's found out, they still got to fix it. Uh, Yvonne? Oh, just to, to add on what Vita said, yeah, there's the reparation offering. So if you steal, you have to, you have to return. And so there are, besides Teshuvah, you repair. And, and you know, that's going to be talked about later, later in the chapters, following chapters. But you know, the interesting thing when you when you had talked about animals being separ separated, it reminded me of, of um, Noah when he came out of the ark. Some of those animals were separated um, besides the pairs of the unclean. Then he had several of the clean thinking, you know, for sacrifice. I mean, it doesn't specify what kind, but <laughs> I'm sure he would be having some of those. Uh, well, he eventually he does, but how some of the animals were, uh, were also separated. Okay, so here we have a bull from the herd for a sin offering, which creates a animal husbandry division of the temple because you can't just keep going and taking somebody's cow eventually he's going to get upset right and um, particularly if the leadership aren't doing such a good job and we're going to run out of cows um if if they're wanting to make reparation kate it is just that if you if it's reparation for something it would imply that you're giving up something which is important to you and it costs you personally. What is it the same then if you're instead of taking from your herd, which is important for your family's future and, and to support of the community, you actually then separate animals and have animals specifically set aside for sacrifice. Is it the same sacrifice as taking it from someone? Well, let's remember, remember, this is not for intentional sin. And so the attachment, oh, right, yeah. the personal attachment is I'm, I'm paying for something I've done. You yes. are, but this is an unintentional. Yes. Like it's, it's it, you didn't mean to do it. It was not, it was, it was, it wasn't deliberate. There was a, there was a, the hard intention was definitely not there. But, and so they, they it's just called the herd, right? So it's like following the word of the law. That's what you're doing. The, but it's still teaching us something. Inter oh, okay. The, the pattern is teaching us something. We've already learned from the first priest that a priest can sin and put his sin on people, and one guy can take the sin of the people away. That's, that's, that's a pretty big theological uh, statement just there. Now we've got the responsibility of the elders, okay, because they are in verse... Uh, 15, and the elders of the community, the Zakenim, the, the old ones from the Zaken, uh, also the word for beard, probably because they all had them or tried to. Uh, and so they, they come before the Lord. They place their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord and the bull shall be killed before the Lord. So they're um, uh, engaged. And the anointed priest, then the Kohen shows up again, and he does his little deal with the, the ritual with the blood of the bull into the tent of meeting. The priest dips his finger in the blood and sprinkles it again seven times in front of a veil. 
and he'll put some of the blood on the horns of the altar that is in the tent of meeting. That's the horn. That's the incense altar. Okay, not the not the other one. Um, and the rest of the blood he pours out in the base of the altar, burnt offering, which is the big one outside. Uh, then he does the whole fat uh, butchery. Remember, the fat belongs to God. Burns it on the altar, and then he does. He does the same with the bull of the sin offering, and he'll do, do this, which means he will also have to skin it and get rid of everything. Okay, this isn't one that you, one that you eat. eat. And, yeah. the, yep, and the priest, okay, the Kohen, he makes atonement for them, right? and they shall be uh, forgiven. The other okay. principle I'm thinking, Aaron, is that when you sin, you owe. That's another principle coming out here. Sure, right? okay. Intentionally, unintentionally, any way you slice it, you've broken God's laws yep. and there's a payment required. Perhaps. Sure. Yep. Aaron, Peter or David? This unintentional sin, this, uninte this, this sacrificing for this because we, we, don't, we don't really figure we owe, so we don't know where the animal comes from, etc. The idea that you can unintentionally kill somebody during that time, okay, that person would have to flee to a safe city, right? until the high priest was changed. Am I correct? Now, the people requiring revenge, right? Is there no sin in this? I mean, the idea that we have through Lord Jesus, we have forgiveness, etc. right? How does this work on that principle? It's, it's you know, if it's an unintentional sin, uh, how does that person sacrifice for that and be forgiven without having to flee? Okay, those are some big questions there. Okay, in the issue of the kinsman redeemer, the goel, Right, the redeemer of the avenger of blood. There's this idea that um, you know, if you killed uh, my brother, I'm going to come and get you. And um, and if you had actually murdered a person, then this guy comes and he kills you, and he's not guilty. Okay. Um, what what we find in Hebrew Bible about justice and the way justice is meted out is there are no jails. Ah, oh, okay. You don't lock people up, okay? Justice is meted out immediately. So you have a trial and or then... you stone them. Yes. You will see it. <laughs> yes, yep. And, and justice is meted out then and there. There's no delay. If, you, if you've got a debt that you can't pay, what's your, what's your punishment? You go into slavery. Labor. You got to work it off. You got, you've got seven years of hard labor to work this debt off. Um, and, and there's all kinds of uh, things that, that you do, but justice is meted out instantly. Jails, that, that comes later, okay? Jails are actually an, an invention of other civilizations. That doesn't make them good or bad. That just means that, that they're invented by other civilizations, okay? And we, we've incorporated them. Uh, and so by the time you get to the Second Temple period, they've got prisons, okay? Where do, yeah, where they, where'd they throw John the Baptist? And so when we come to, to Lord Jesus and we say, forgive our enemies and pray for our enemies, it takes a different uh, slant or perspective, if you like. Right, because in the Jewish world, right, it was life for life. So the murderer was gone. There's no time to put him in jail if he's dead. Correct. I mean, we still have the death penalty here in some states or countries and some states of some countries. And, uh, and, and, and to get it right, you can take, Quite a long time, yes, uh, staying in jail uh, before. Yeah. In, in Iran, it's the fastest, I think. They just hang you on a tree or a machine. Yeah, yeah. The, the, That's the, it. No trial, no right. waiting prayer. Right. 
so so but 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 talking back back to the issue that David's talking about, you know, what's the sin and what's the unintentional sin and who's actually sinning here? Um, when it comes to murder, uh, the if it's an unintentional sin, the guy will probably still have to do an offering. But obviously, he's got a problem before he goes and finds a cow. Uh, his problem is the big guy down the road wants to come and get him, so he does have to run. And God does set up a, a an opportunity for him to survive. So there's some mercy in, in there and grace in there uh, but as well. Murdering some someone is not <laughs> can't as no, uh, an, correct. It's not unintentional. Uh, wrong but word. Should really be murdered. The manslaughter. Like like my example in the beginning of this meeting. Like let's say you forgot that riding on Shabbat is forbidden and you start riding something and it's an unintentional. It's it should be that simple. Like murdering somebody or just taking a Torah scroll and burning it down and saying, oh sorry, I didn't know that I could shouldn't uh, burn the Torah scroll. It's not an unintentional sin. I mean oh, but yeah, but Marty, it could be because if you're fighting with somebody and you accidentally <laughs> kill them. No, no fighting yeah, 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 Sarah, yeah. what do you mean you're fighting somebody in an unintentional and somebody runs you up put them down and, and they hit their head on a rock? No, well, you shouldn't. Yeah. You shouldn't. Sharon, yeah. if you lived at that time, they would probably spawn you right there. Because <laughs> yeah, you are looking you are looking from 2021 uh you know view. To all the way back to Torah time, you know. No, but I'm just it, answering your question. Like, like that. Yeah. Cain, Cain took a thing and bludgeoned his brother. I mean, like they. No, you are right, but at that time they weren't thinking like that the way you think. You yeah. know, it was. No, but I mean, it can happen unintentionally if you're fighting with somebody. Right, 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 right. But the, well, the Cain one's not unintentional. Like, the you know, Torah does provide for unintentional manslaughter. It does. Yeah. That's in a separate portion. I don't know whether it's in Leviticus or in other sections. Okay, we even—I think we even handle it in Deuteronomy. Um, yeah. But there is a there is a this a lot of this section is for, you know, as I would say, unintentional sin. Although there is disagreement, which we have seen today, there is a reading that has that has been around for over a thousand years, uh, quite some time. Um, that it's actually with when it comes to the elders of the community, it's intentional. Uh, although I still think it's unintentional, but there is a there's a there's room for disagreement. The the process for getting rid of the sin once it's uncovered is exactly the same. It's very interesting to me, and I'm hope that you've also seen it that one, when it related to the high priest who got a special name, okay, Kohen Mashiach, okay, not Kohen Hagadol, not the the sons of Aaron, okay, the Bnei Aharon. Um, uh, you know, the words that are chosen and the words that are not used, very interesting. Why did we choose to say it this way? Yeah. Okay, now that is very interesting because you're hearing this, right? Remember, most people aren't reading the Bible. You've got a guy reading the Torah, right? The trained reader. And he would have said, Kohen HaMashiach. Ooh, Mashiach, what are we talking about here? You know, no, it's the, it's the Kohen. Oh, that guy. Oh, I, th I thought the other guy. Um, you know, here you got the question, Reverend, in the chat. If it says, Was Moshe killing the Egyptian who beating who was beating the slave an intentional or yes, unintentional? okay? All right, so yeah, in the in that case, Moses you kills the Egyptian, that's definitely intentional, and he runs, yes, because what would have been his punishment? Well, how do you know it's intentional? 
intentional. Like maybe he's just really mad at the guy and then he got killed. I don't know. Sure. There's also another very interesting case. What about Pinchas? Yeah. Well, he, he kills. It's intentional. Yes. And it's righteous. And he was blessed. Yes. But, but is killing evil? No. No. Right? Because the actual commandment is Al-Tietzach. Don't murder. Oh, okay. Elaborate. You know, Sharon, if I leave so the, we, we, era, we often translate. And including the King James, no, 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 King James said murder. Some translations say, thou shalt not kill. That is not the correct translation. Correct translation is thou shalt not murder, okay? Because, because killing is, is uh, commanded by the Lord in some portions of the Bible, right? In, oh, like, yeah, in many portions. Many portions. <laughs> it, it causes all kinds of consternation amongst uh, uh, modern-day readers of the bible and 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 preachers you know as i can't believe this type of god who would command people to go kill and this is all horrible um conscientious objectors conscientious objectors uh those kinds of things but the actual hebrew is thou shalt not murder which is intention remember it always is about the intention of the heart write these laws on your heart and Killing somebody isn't inherently a bad thing because that means all our soldiers are better go to hell. You know, policemen, you know, take the guns away from the cops immediately. They might kill someone. Um, you know, that's just not the run. The, 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 the state has the ability to kill. Um, killing it, God kills in and of itself is not an evil thing, not a nice thing, but it's. Um, and sometimes, as we discovered in some portions of, of Deuteronomy, and also, particularly if you're studying Revelation, Linda, sometimes evil has to be fought with violence. Okay, sometimes you you can pray for evil to be defeated. You can love evil, like the evil person, and reap and, and reap coals of shame on them by doing good and softening their heart and winning them over to you. Yes, but there is some evil that has to be fought violently. And so you even get right, and you get you get to revelation, and God says, "Okay, my turn," and and away and 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 away we go. All right, Teresa, comment from you, but we'll start wrapping it up. Okay. I was just wondering um, what sin uh, David was responsible for when he sent Bathsheba's husband to the front, knowing that she he was going to be killed because right. certainly yeah. murder was in his heart, wasn't it? Yeah, it was correct. Yeah, they wanted to get rid of him. Correct. I would agree with you, Teresa, that the sin there is murder. Okay. And yet, David never paid for that. He paid through through his son. Correct. That is also true. But David also repented. Correct. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of examples. That that story gets gets very involved and very much very. um, uh, I mean, there, there were sections of Deuteronomy. Remember where. Uh, if your son is a mischievous son, take him out and kill him. I mean, who does such a thing, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure lots of people want to do it today, but they don't. Okay. And the question is, did they ever do it? We had this discussion when we were, just, when we were studying the book of, uh, of Deuteronomy. Did this actually happen? What is this talking about? And there's lots of teaching actually in there about... Um, uh, obedience to your 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 parents and what loving families should and shouldn't be and the responsibility of families inside a community and how sin is actually infectious you know all these kinds of things that we can learn and, 
So did and, David offer a, a an offering at the temple for his sin? Uh, that I don't know. The text doesn't say so. Okay. And his um, uh, some of his psalms, though, do mention him giving offerings, but not. I don't know if it particularly says for this one. Um, but it's interesting because he lost four of his children. He did. So he he stole, and in a sense, and paid back four a, times. Paid, yeah. yes. paid which, back. Which is again, yeah, Torah. The, the Torah was honored. Oh, okay. Um, so because you have to pay back four times if you take something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Except Zacchaeus, he, he did that's, a lot more. But right? that, that's <laughs> I can't remember. We we might even find that one in in Leviticus where actually you find the the four for one restitution. And David pays four times for his for what he did. Okay. But again, that whole incident, that, that whole incident shows to me again also the grace and mercy of the Lord, because which wife produces the Messiah? That's Sheba. There's all these yeah. other wives, right? Mm -hmm. David's got all together, he's got 18 women. He's got eight wives and 10 concubines. Any of them could have produced the Messiah. But the one that God chooses is the number 18 and the one where everything's wrong, which, you know, says something about God. It has to. Okay, Tom, you got a comment? I was just going to comment on Sharon's point about accidental. That's why you had the sanctuary cities. Right, correct. Yes, you have to put those in, and we'll talk about those when we, when we get to them. Yvonne? It's interesting with David, um, when Shimei was stoning him, throwing rocks at him, and he said, no, let them, let them, you know, let him, don't, don't do anything, uh, David's commanders or his <clears throat> men, don't do anything, let him, let him throw the stones. In a sense, he understood the idea of adultery and stoning as yeah. well, besides the payment of the poor children. Okay, so I'm going to wrap it up here, guys. So in summary over some of the things that we've, we've talked about. We have a high priest called, uh, with a very particular name, okay, HaKohen HaMashiach, could have called him anything else, Kohen HaGadol could have called him, the Bnei Aharon could have just called him the Kohenim, right? But he does a sin and it gets imputed on everyone. At the same time, he gets the opportunity to take the sin away from all the people, which is creating a nice little piece of, of um theology then we get the responsibility of the elders of the congregation now whether we think it's unintentional or intentional that's up for debate the zakani the the elders have a responsibility to absolve uh, or, or seek covering okay for the forgiveness of of, of, of sin and uh and now we're going to start the next two people we look at are the leadership who are these people and then the common people Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.